welcome to Real Rap with Reynolds Teacher Talk with your host, C.J. Reynolds. My name is C.J. Reynolds, and what what you are watching, listening to, consuming right now is something we started uh, years ago at this point called Sunday Night Teacher Talk. And what this is, is a place where all of us that don't get enough of school during the week show up on the weekend on a Sunday and talk about this every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we figure out how we are going to be the best teachers that we can be, to be the teachers we always dreamed of being. And we are doing this as a community together. So although I am the talking head, this is um, a way for us to to like work together. So like you, you ask a question, I answer it then everybody else is going to answer it too. And this is just one thing that we do. There's also a Facebook group called Real Rap with Reynolds Teacher Talk. There's also a book called Teacher Class Off, which is available on Amazon and basically everywhere. Um, there are mentoring sessions. You can go right to our website, realrapwithreynolds.com and sign up for hour-long mentoring sessions where I will literally walk through everything from specific classroom management issues you're having, planning issues, tech issues, like whatever it is that you have going on um, I'm fairly confident I can help move the needle. So that is, that's just some of what's, of what's kind of going on here. So if you have a question, um, can you just put it in the chat? You can put Q next to it or question next to it. First 30 minutes, this new experiment we're doing, I'm really digging it. First 30 minutes of the live feed, we are doing questions just right in order. Um, and then the second 30 minutes is, uh, Edie and the not-so-secret wife, my hands are really dirty right now, um, the Edie and the not-so-secret wife are pulling uh, questions that they just think like we haven't spoken to or need to be addressed. Is that everything? Yes. I'm talking fast. I'm on a mile minute right now and yeah. we didn't even have coffee this I was afternoon. I just going to say, we didn't even have um, coffee. Man, this week, do you have questions already? I, this week it. was crazy. I worked 12-hour days like at least four nights this week i was working until like 9 30 uh from like eight in the morning seven in the morning till like nine nine thirty at night it was bonkers but I'm, I'm and i'm trying to catch up uh but i feel like i'm in one of those pools that like you can swim laps in without really going anywhere that's kind of i could have just said a treadmill that would have been a, a better analogy yeah i think people would have got that more but i like that pool was in billions this week, and so that's why. Mm -hmm. I have all dust in my room. In my, in my esophagus. It's, I like that I literally just cleaned everything top to bottom yesterday, and then your uncle calls me. He's like, come on, we're going to put the door in today. He's not I'm a like, graceful worker either. Ah, Look at right, it. Now it's all Looks dirty. like an explosion <laughs> of drywall happened back here. It's okay. All right, are you ready for your first question? Um, yes, I am. Okay. Hit it. It's from Piano Boy. My He's buddy. asking and saying, I don't have much time this week, but I really want to ask this question. Parent-teacher conferences are next week. What advice for a first-year teacher? Oh, I love this question. Here's what you have to remember. Um, you know when they say, a lot of people give you this piece of advice, and it's not a bad piece of advice, but I'd like to add to it, where they say, uh, say something nice, say something that is a little bit more difficult to hear, and then say something nice. And it's like, I don't know, it's like a nice sandwich. or It's actually like a disappointing sandwich actually because if you didn't like what was in the middle of your sandwich that would be a disappointing sandwich the, i i think especially first parent teacher night of the year or first conferences of the year 
I like to ask parents two questions. Um, and at our school, for some reason, the student always comes, which is just a little bit, it's awkward sometimes, especially when someone doesn't do any work in your class and they show up and they're all stoked to see you and then they're like, you're like, all right, bro, I got bad news for your mom. Um, I ask things like, what, what is mom or grandmom or dad or whoever's there? What is something I need to know about your child to be the best teacher I can be for them this year? And I find that that question stops parents in their tracks because most of them have never been asked that ever. Their input on their child, unless it's for an IEP and that's very clinical, um, is not often accepted, right? So, or, or thought about or, or acknowledged. So just asking that question is really, is really good. I think the second thing is um, asking who was your child's favorite teacher ever and who was a teacher that they struggled with or, or didn't see eye to eye or wasn't a good fit for them. Now you're not asking for names and I tell parents like, I don't wanna know anyone's name, um, but like what were like, someone that really worked, what did they do? Like what, what made that teacher so great that you would, you know, say their name? And then the other teacher, was it, you know, what were the aspects of their class that didn't work? I think those two questions go a really long way. Um, and then just reminding parents, like, look, I like, even if you have to give some information that's not positive, communicating to parents that I only want your child to find success. I have zero interest in being right. I have zero interest in, in, um, in like getting even with a kid or something dumb like that. It's like, I only want your kid to win. Let's figure out a way we can do that this year. And I think that leaves parents leaving the conference feeling empowered and feeling excited that you're their kid's teacher this year. Hit it. Alex is asking, you talk a lot about um, reverse engineering your life and reflecting daily or weekly, etc. Can you expand on your process a little bit more? Yeah. Um, I, so I revert, when I talk about reverse engineering my life to the extent that I can, um, I have a vision of what I want my life to look like. Right. And that is everything from material stuff. Right. So like, I know exactly what kind of pickup truck that I want. It's, that, it's my, it's my dream car. My, my students think this is hilarious. They're like, if you have any car, you would really have a pickup truck. I'm like, yeah, bro. I know exactly what truck I want. I know what kind of house I want. I know that I want to live on a farm. Um, city living is, is no longer for me. Uh, and I'm, we're transitioning, preparing the transition out of that to like live in a farm somewhere and just have some quiet. I know the kind of things I want on my farm. I know that, um, I know that I want to be an answer to prayer or I want to be a blessing to others. Right. And what I mean by that is I no longer am interested in just counting on donors choose just counting on the kindness of others. I want to make money so that like part of what we're building here with real rap with Reynolds is creating a business that is going to directly impact young people. So that right now could look like making sure kids have food when they're at home, making sure kids have desks when they're at home, making sure that, um, when they come back to school, like there, no one's coming in with like, like old shoes or something like that. But I, I, one of the things I want to grow that to, right? So this is, takes a lot of just thinking about one of the things I want to grow that to is I, I have found and through, through different literature, through, uh, just talking to teachers and stuff like that. But, um, one of the reasons that I think we don't see more black and brown teachers in schools 
is because no one can afford student teaching. No one can afford to not work for three months. And if you do, you ruin, like I, my credit was rocked because I lived off credit cards when I student taught because I could not work at the same time. So it's like trying to figure out ways, like making enough capital, finding ways, we're, we're referring to it as pathways and pipelines to help young people be able to think about really considering teaching um, and knowing that we will be able to help them out. Like Real Rap with Reynolds, the company will be able to help them out to sustain a lifestyle while they are doing student teaching, right? This, those, these are like long-term goals. Um, when I think about this, what I do is I then, I dream it out, right? All these pictures over here, I've talked about this before. All these pictures over here are just some of the pictures that are sort of like a vision board for me that I wanna have the image of what this looks like. Then I make practical steps as to how I can reach all of these things. So maybe that's, right now we're um, getting ready to like, to do some big like business changes, right? Or like up, whether it's updates to my website, whether it's um, a clothing line, like not clothing line, but like selling swag and stuff like that. Like that is, you can have the vision, but then you have to reverse engineer. I do the same thing in class. I don't let the school system stop me. I don't let COVID-19 stop me. I don't let my size of my room. I don't let the limitations. Like right now, we just found out that there's gonna be a complete curriculum overhaul at our school. And we are not a part of that conversation. Teachers are not a part of that conversation. So what is that gonna look like? Um, no one knows, but I'm not gonna let that stop me. What I do is I literally, I'll just like get a drink, get some coffee, sit on my porch, and I just dream. I dream about what would this look like if it could look like anything? And then I scale backwards. Well, how can I get there? How can I pay for this? How can I make, how, what partners would help me to, to reach these goals? What partners would, would work with me to do this? That would just be fun to have around. And that's how I decide everything in my life from, you know, the, the cars and the houses and, and the going to make this instruments and um, I don't know how everything, like that's just a bit of my process of like steps as to get to that. Because when I can figure that out and I just make one Another stuff. And it doesn't all go according to plan, right? I'm not interested in that either. Um, I thought when the book came out, part of my, my, my plan was that would speak to create a lot more speaking gigs, but like no one's having speakers right now. So that's stopped. But um, all of a sudden, a lot of these companies start reaching out and it's like, I never thought I'd do a deal with Verizon, um, but Verizon reaches out and wants to do a deal with us. I never thought I'd do a deal with Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, who's like the biggest like textbook company in the world. Um, and has their fingers in everything, but I'm one of their ambassadors now. So like some other stuff has come out and it's still getting me to my end goal, which is to be able to be a blessing to yeah, people. I think it's about pivoting and adjusting yeah. like along the way. Yeah. I don't know all the steps, but I can take, uh, a ridiculous amount of responsibility for the ones that I do. Mm -hmm. Uh, this next one is from... I don't know how to say that. Is that CAC? KAC? Uh, KAC? Just say KAC 27. Okay. What platforms are you using to teach that are free and actually work technically and technically and engaging for the students? I feel my kids are my test dummies. No pun intended. No, dude, <laughs> I get it. it. So we, I started with a lot and then I realized that that's not what I want to do. Um, I, we're using Schoology, which I don't, I don't love. I, I, there's aspects of it that I like. But I just think there's like five to seven ways to do everything 
for like no reason. Like I just want to add an assignment. And so can there just be one way that I add an assignment? I found that Google Classroom was far more um, conducive to this. So what I'm trying to do now is anything that won't open on Schoology easily. I don't want the kids to be transferred to another website. If it doesn't do that, I'm not using those sites right now because I found it's far too confusing. And what we're what I'm hearing is and talking to some friends is that there have been some studies done that show that this um, this generation right now that we're all teaching is not like literate in, in, the, in when it comes to technology. They've grown up with iPads and iPhones, but they're really good at swiping and not so much like interacting with a with a website or something like that. So some websites I find are really more far more intuitive and interesting and then um, other ones are not. So I've been using Nearpod, but we just, that's free, but my school just upgraded. So now that is nice because it links right to my grade book. Um, so kids complete things on there. I don't have to grade it. I don't have to touch it. It just goes right into my grade book when they're finished. I like Nearpod because like last week, um, uh, so if you don't know what that is, one of the things that Nearpod does is you can watch a video and when you're watching the video, you can insert questions along the way. And that worked really well because I had a video and questions, but then I had some of my special ed guys were like, couldn't figure out where in the video they heard that thing. So it was, I was able to like some like, so it was a video about Grandmaster Flash. Grandmaster Flash would say, this is what scratching is. And then I would say, why, why do they, why is scratching an element of hip hop? And like, what, like, what does that mean? And then you're able to do those checks for understanding. So kids are, they, they are becoming active watchers. They're not just passively consuming content um, or not paying attention, but it is like kind of making them, it's helping them rather to learn in an active way. And I can make those multiple choice. I can make those uh, short answer, but I think Nearpod's really good for that. You can also create like whole slides for the day. You can make them student paced or you can make them something that you go through with your kids. And you can make it so that any of the videos, they can't just fast forward. So I used uh, a crash course video this week about the Odyssey and um, the students couldn't just like skip through it and answer the questions. They, it made them watch it. And I think that that's a really good um, feature that they have. Uh, I've also been using Flipgrid. I had a really fun time with Flipgrid is super fun. Uh, I have to learn a little bit more about it, but it was really simple and it was a way for, we did ghost stories like we do every year. And so the kids had their ghost stories, but then I said, look, I want you to leave class because you can't be on Zoom and Flipgrid at the same time because it, it, uh, you have to use your camera. So I'm like, go find somewhere in your house that you can read your ghost story and you're going to record yourself. You can, um, you can use the filters that Flipgrid has, or if you have it on your phone, you can just like use filters that Snapchat has or Facebook has, and then upload that video to Flipgrid. And then they handed it in. So some kids made like just blanket forts. Some kids went into their basement. Some kids went into the garage. Some kids like just turned off all the lights and one kid got in a closet, which was a little bit crazy. Um, but like, it was like giving them this idea that they could do and then saying, come back in 20 minutes and we're gonna check these out. And whoever had like the top three like uh, ideas or, or creative, you know, moments here are going to get extra credit. And that was really fun. Um, what else am I going to use? I feel like those are the only two. Hand I'm, puzzle? 
Really? Yeah, but Ed Puzzle is. Ed Puzzle is free, but you can only use it so many times. Um, oh. So that's why I don't love that. Uh, and then there's other ones, but like those were the, those are my go-tos right now. What I'm trying to do is like just stick with a few, like one, two, or three websites, and then I'll scale it as the year goes on because I think there's a lot of great stuff out there. I think um, Adobe has really great stuff. I think uh, Verizon has a ton of free stuff on on their website now like that they're trying to create content for people i think the new york times has tons of great stuff and there's all these other like scribble or whatever it is like there's all these cool websites but my students are getting overwhelmed because teachers are having them go to five different sites so it's like what can i embed in schoology so that we just stay on schoology and you don't have to figure something else out so yeah what do you got miss warren is asking tips for teacher evaluation I'm a nervous wreck because mine is coming up and I immediately feel inadequate. Yeah, uh, that's what they do. They make you feel inadequate and you feel like a piece of crap. And um, it's, it's very awkward. Here's how I win at, at these every single time. I own it. I want the, someone to come in and, and critique my class. I want someone to speak about what I'm doing. And when I know they're coming in, I'll even go to them and give them the lesson plan ahead of time and say, oh, and I, even if I'm not really excited, it's, I think 90% of teaching is acting. So it's just shifting my mindset. Um, no, I want you to come. Oh, you're coming into my classroom? When? Wednesday? Awesome. Great. So look, here's my lesson plan. This is what I'm going through. This is what I'm trying to do. These are kids that are having a hard time in class or are really great in class. Like, let me identify them for you on the front end so you're not trying to figure it out. And then... Um, I'll do the lesson and then I'd love to speak with you afterwards, not just receive some kind of like form that you checked or didn't check stupid crap off. I actually want your feedback on what I'm doing because I've had two different kinds of observations in my life. In my old school, there was a man that came in the back. He came in on his computer, sat at my desk and just, it was like a checklist. And he like, was there like one thing I would get counted off for all the time was, is there student work displayed in the classroom what bro what like that's why is that important to have student work displayed in the classroom like i don't want to like because what are we doing hanging up a's but what about the kid that got a c plus and that's like his like the greatest thing that ever happened what about the kid that had a 13 before one well, last week's vocab test but got a 55 this week and i'm stoked because my man like more than tripled or doubled his score there's a reason i teach english um like, I'm excited about that, but I'm not going to hang his 55 on the walls because then he looks like a, a joke. Um, so, like, he would just sit in the back and click things. And that's the only kind of teacher observation I ever had. And then I would just get a copy in my mailbox. I'd have to sign it and hand it in. But then when I went to Philly, th one of the greatest people I ever worked with, uh, this guy, Dr. Tennant, um, Dr. Tennant came in. I wonder if the door is in the way. Don't say. Are we that. working? Yeah. I think I'm back on there. I'm back on there. Is that working? That one's working. Yeah. That one's not working. Yep. All right. Cool. Um, cool. Sorry. I don't know what happened there for a moment. Um, I mean, I paid my internet bill. Just stopped working for a second. So when <laughs> Dr. Tennant gave me my review back, it was like five pages long, and so, you know, and. One of the things I kind of learned from that was like how useful actual feedback can be when someone that is a good teacher comes in and, and, and observes you, like how useful that can be. So 
I ask for it. And then what that does is instead of, it's like being, watch, you're kicking this dude. Oh, um, sorry. And instead of going into a fight and waiting for someone to throw the first punch, you're throwing the first punch. I don't recommend that you punch anybody in your school, but you get the idea. It's like not, instead of like waiting for the ball to drop, it's like, just get after it and make it happen. And I think that that's, that's how I would handle that situation. What you got there, dude? Um, Amy Russell is asking, what are the ramifications for states and individual schools if they, if they show through the pandemic that they do not value teacher well-being or retention? Oh. Uh. Okay. I'm trying to think of how I can oh. address this situation. I am seeing this year... Um, Without putting too much out there, we hired 31 new teachers this year at our school. That's over half of the teachers that we had. A number of those teachers have quit since the beginning of the year. There's a lot of other things going on, but the, the common theme that I'm hearing, not just from teachers at my school, but teachers at large, people that I, that I mentor and stuff, is that they are feeling wildly unsupported um, and completely overwhelmed. I don't know one, I have not heard from one teacher, maybe James Pete, but like, I feel like most people are feeling overwhelmed. I have, I had two mild mental breaks this week, um, because I just can't catch up. Like I just can't figure out all the sites. So like we got trained in Schoology before we had logins to Schoology. And so it was like getting the drum lesson, but you didn't own the drums yet. Like you were just, someone was coming to your house talking about how to play drums. And it was like, this is useless to me. Um, so in that, you know, I, I think, I, I really feel like there's going to be a lot of teachers that, that quit this year because it's just too hard. Um, and I think, you know, especially it's dangerous when we look at, like, look, teachers, Teachers do what they do because they care about students, not because they care about schools, not because they care about their administration, not because like, like that might be the case sometimes. I know that my old principal, Dr. Tennant, I would do anything for that guy, man. Like if this year was going the way that it was, I'd be working just as hard just because I want his school to win because he's an amazing human being. But that being said, I mean, like mm -hmm. what I do largely is for kids. That's how why we all got into this job. Now, schools bank on that. Schools bank on the fact that you'll work for very little money, for no help, for no love, um, because you love students. And that is going to not be enough right now, I think. It, it is like, it's incredibly taxing. And, it's, and I feel incredibly worn out. And to, even if you knew somebody cared, someone backed you, it would make you get through this. But instead, look, I mean, look, that's what we're doing here, right? We're doing this on a Sunday because not everyone feels backed. Not everyone feels like the, the community is there where they work. So you got to go elsewhere. And I think that that helps, but I don't know that it's always the be all end all. And especially in a year like this, um, I, you know, but so we'll, we'll see. I mean, there's a lot of things like I know a lot of teachers this year that in Pennsylvania, this is their 10th year of teaching, which means they need this to get their pension. Um, and, but after this year, people are really questioning whether or not they want to go back to, to teaching again next year because it's so incredibly hard. And it's heartbreaking too, right? Like see students that um, don't have 
what they need. They, they're in, in crowded houses. There's a lot, of, like they go to school to escape home sometimes, um, or at least have a, a respite from it. And now they're stuck there every day, all, all day, and sitting on computers for, at our school, it's eight hours a day, and you have 80 minute classes. It's bonkers. It's, it's the kids are melting. Um, Teachers so yeah, are we'll melting. Say. I mean, just the comments that people are putting now from even from that whole question is is crazy. Yeah. Like people are like, I work 70 hours a week. I'm yeah. working 89 hours a week. Look, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a great teacher. I'm really great at what I do. Um, and, and I and I it, that's I don't say that easily because I don't like even like when other people give me compliments, it's very awkward for me. But um, but this year is beyond trying. And the reason that I don't just mail it in is because I care so damn much and I think it's so damn important that we show up for our students, but that's just not enough to, to get through the year sometimes. So I have to like make sure that I'm, that's why I keep talking about mindset. I just think I have to like go to other places to it build is, myself it up. It is literally the thing I think that's going to get people because there's, there's no good solution, right? This is just a mess. Like there's not one good, there's not one school that's like got it on lock, it seems like. I haven't heard of, of some. No, you know who school. does? The schools that were already teaching online, but then for whatever reason, no school that I know went to those folks. It's like, it, it's yeah. like if you, it's like if you want to learn The model karate. already exists. I don't understand. Yeah. So we have a friend who works, or she did online schooling before this, like yeah. for years. Um, she was an online online teacher and she was like I don't understand why the schools are recreating the wheel when they have corporate like what did she say it was like called blackboard no blackboard something she was like it already yeah. exists that you can use this platform she goes and it does all the things that zoom and all these other things do she's like here's what schools are doing set up for it it's the karate kid model daniel son wants to learn karate so he's learning from a book and he didn't learn. He got kept getting his ass kicked over and over again because he's trying to figure it out on his own. All he had to do was go talk to Mr. Miyagi. You start painting some fences and sanding some floors. The next thing you know, you're a karate expert, right? But if you go to the person that already knows, it just makes trying to figure it out. And it's just maddening. Um, my, my reader just left because Grayson's on the phone. Brody's best friend. Um, the... But we love Grayson. I'm gonna let's just talk about him for a second. He and Brody have been friends since like the moment they were born. They're born three months uh, apart from another, and they are still inseparable at 13. And I love it so much. Um, Kathleen Toner is asking one. I'm struggling to find. Sorry, this is far away. I'm struggling to find time to fit in lesson planning. How does your week to week lesson planning look now amidst COVID? Any advice for a second year ELA grades five through eight teacher? trying to get ahead. So that's uh, question one. I, I will say this on the front end. I'm having a really hard time with this too. I feel like I can either in a day plan or grade. I cannot do both. And plus, since everything is an email or a text message now, it's just overwhelming. So what I'm trying to do is simplify. So, and this is what I do in my own classroom too. So a brief outlook of what my day looks like. My day looks like the students come in and for attendance purposes, I do a do now, which is just on Schoology, I do it like an assessment because um, I can grade it really quickly and use a rubric. Otherwise, I think Google Forms works well too. But Google Forms doesn't tie to Schoology, so I can't, it doesn't go right to my grade book, so that's why I do it on Schoology. Anyway, it's like four quick questions and they change daily. Um, the other day on Friday, it was how, how much did you sleep last night? Multiple choice, right? Less than four hours. 
between four and six, blah, 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 blah. Then I asked, um, what did you eat for breakfast or lunch today? Then I asked, what is one thing that is that you wish you could change about virtual teach about virtual learning? And then I asked what two animals, if you put them together, would make the most amazing combination of animals, right? So I always put something ridiculous in there because I find that that if I leave with that, like, and they, before they go into the next thing, it gets a laugh and it kind of uh, gives like a little endorphin hit to students. I then do a journal entry every single day. Journal entries happen on Schoology also, and it's on the discussion board. And that also has a rubric. And so then I can just see everyone's responses. So I can, the do nows, as they come in, I use them as attendance. And then I grade them while kids are doing the journal. The journal, as kids are finishing it, I start grading them right away. And then we have a conversation about the journal entries and there's a little bit of back and forth. So now kids are talking, sharing. I don't require them to have their screens on or anything like that while they're doing that. And kids that share get extra credit because it's a weird thing, more than regular, to speak uh, on a Zoom call for kids, especially when you're a freshman and you don't know anyone else in the school. We then go into the next act, the first, like whatever the activity is for the day, and that takes the most planning. One of the things I've been doing though is working with other teachers to see how they're doing stuff so I'm not recreating the wheel. So in the last two weeks, a lot of what I've been doing has like the, the meat of that has been created by uh, my friend, Miss Walker, who's the, uh, another ninth grade teacher. She teaches a lot of stuff at our school, but she teaches ninth grade English also. So she has been creating stuff. I take that, I modify it for my classes and that has really worked. I think that one, I am getting more and more. I like, so I was going to make my own videos this year for my students. Nope. I just go on Nearpod and find somebody that already made something. I go on YouTube and find somebody that already made something because it's too much work and I just can't get to it. And if I, and if I do that, I'm going to let something else slide. So by finding things that already exist, I'm winning by working with other people that are, we're planning together, I'm winning. Um, and then, so we're sharing in those responsibilities and that has really, really helped because what, again, what I'm finding is if I put all this time into doing that work, doing like the work of planning, I can't get the grading done. I can't get the emails done. I can't get back to the parents. I can't get back to the kids. I can't have office hours. It's so overwhelming. And since there's, since there's basically no administrative team in my school, and that's all I'll say about that right now, um, when someone gets in trouble, when there's a kid that has a problem, uh, we are helping one another figure that out. And that means that largely every day during my entire lunch, um, I am, instead of like taking lunch and like just chilling for 10 minutes, uh, I'm on calls dealing with, you know, these, putting, helping put out these other fires. And so that's really been really problematic as well. So... Um, that, so that's where I'm at for that Two, any tips for switching between shared classroom with two minutes passing setup time. I try to set up warmups, but it's super awkward, uh, being the one settling in while the kids are still waiting. So that's, that is, first of all, let's just note that you're not crazy. That is terrible model. Two minutes. Come on. Even we have 10 minutes in between classes and that's not enough because I have, every like kid with an IEP or every kid that has a hard time, like focusing in class, even kids that don't have IEPs, like that I have to like 
go over what we did or what's for homework or, or explain it again one more time before they leave. So I, I sometimes have no time. It's like my next class is coming in virtually while I'm finishing up with those kids. I'd say, Kathleen, I would do one, just let kids have a minute when they come in. I don't know how your school rocks that, but I just like will give kids and say like, hey, look, we're just finishing classes. I need to get set up. I need five minutes, right? So like, let's take five minutes. I'd also... COVID might throw this off. I always have helpers. I always have the kids that have a really hard time sitting still, can't, like can't stay focused on what we're doing. They can't keep their hands off someone else. They can't stop themselves from getting in trouble. I find things for them to do. And like years ago, I started doing this. I had the student, um, Raphael. I just hit, this dude just hit me up on Facebook not that long ago and was yeah. like, we were talking about this. This kid, uh, we call him Raph. And my man could, he had no chill, like at all. Like, I think he just ate pop rocks for breakfast every day. And like, you just came to school like, wow. So I put him in charge of a certain number of things. He was given a drawer in my desk and that drawer was completely organized, completely labeled. Everything had a space. And so his job was every day to like come in and do certain things, but to do those things, uh, he had to use his drawer. And if he got in trouble, he was, he was not allowed. He had to just sit like at his desk was in the back near mine, which was by design because then he could sit near me. But I told him like, well, I need you to sit back here so you can like help me organize stuff. So if I'm collecting papers, he's alphabetizing them. If I'm handing out papers, bro, can hand these out to everybody for me real quick. Yo, can you staple all of these for me real quick? Like sometimes I'd get stuff out of the printer and not staple it intentionally or um, not have it three hole punched. And he was my guy that would do all that stuff. Yo, I need you real quick. Can you clean that board? And you know the way that I like it. I like it done nicely. And so he would take pride and like get all the corners and wipe off the ledge. Cause you know, all the expo market marker uh, vomit gets all over your ledge. Um, it was giving kids those jobs. And then the kids are helping participate. So it looked like more like, a, oh, I know my snaps right there. Um, like a NASCAR pit crew. Like, all right, I'm in here. We got, you're in charge of music. You put on music. We have five minutes of music. That's just going to play in the background. Like nondescript. Uh, why is our son ringing his bike does. bell that's out front? That's like. Like we're mates. This is what Brody does. He got a new bike, and so like he just has a bell on it. Has a so bell. now, but it's very. It's a three wheel bike because he has. He, he, he struggles he, on a two wheel one. Yeah. So we got him a three wheel bike, and it's hard to pull in and out of the backyard. So if he needs to come in to get a drink, he just rings the bell for us to go watch his bike, so no one steals it. <laughs> Wait, all he has to do is pull, tell him to pull in the neighbor's driveway. He's just. He doesn't have to put it behind the fence. He's just pretty. Um, I know, but I, I'm, I'm sitting here listening to Go him, ahead, like, going. like it, we're at a, a gas station in the 1950s. Um, so the idea there is uh, to like have like make like a pit crew, like make a game out of it. Like, all right, gang, I can't do this all in two minutes. Um, everyone has five minutes. Just chill. Um, if your kids are allowed on phones, let them be on phones. If they're allowed on laptops, let them be on laptops. If, if not, just have them chill and talk to one another. And then we're going to, uh, where's my crew? I need my, my pit crew. So this is like lightning McQueen coming in for a pit stop. We're going to nail this stuff out. You're going to help me get ready. And then we're rocking and rolling and it's no big deal. Um, uh, this is Laura is asking, Hey rounds, hope you and your family are well. I'm teaching five days a week with families who choose to be in person, but they are not engaged like I thought. How can I have better engagement with these families? Um, I think, one, um, putting it on them. Like, all right, look, 
I want, I'm going to be real honest with you. I want this to be your favorite class of the day. I want this to be the best class of the year. I want you to graduate from high school and to think, damn, like Miss, uh, Miss Campion's class was the greatest class in the history of the world. Um, so, but I'm not feeling that right now, right? You guys, like, I feel like I'm like giving my all playing on stage and the, and the fans are just like, all right, I'm sorry. It's okay. Uh, what can we do to make this better? Like, what is, what are some ideas? What are some ways you'd like to learn? What are some ways you'd like to be engaged? Like, do we need more videos? Do we need more hands-on stuff? Do we need be building projects, creating stuff, getting out of our seats? Like, what should this look like? And, and look, of course, you're taking into consideration all of like the, the things that COVID is, is making you take into consideration. But allowing students to be a part of the conversation really, really helps. And then once that happens, it's, um, you are, when you implement something, you're letting them know, like, look, I really took into account what you said the other day. So today we're going to start with this video or we're going to get out of our seats or we're going to go outside or we're going to listen, we're going to have music on or we're going to, whatever the thing is, you, you can't just do it. Um, and, and expect that they're going to notice you have to tell them, but not like in a braggy way or something like that. It's just like, look, man, I'm really doing this. Like I really am figuring this out so we can make this better. And my students told me the other day that 80 minutes is too long and that they don't want to go to all these different websites. So I told them, I said, look, we have two websites to go to today and this is all we're going to use until I know everyone's got it on lock and then we'll build in something else or build in something else or build in something else. And class isn't going to take any minutes anymore. We're going to, this is how, how long it's going to go. And this is what it's going to look like. And then when, um, and then we just can increase it from there or change it from there or build it from there. So I think that that's how you do it, but you have to let them be a part of the conversation. It's like, um, I don't know. It's like, instead of just listening to the radio and waiting for your favorite song to come on, it's like, when DJs just say like, Hey, call it's request hour, call in and we'll play whatever you want. And then all of a sudden everyone wants to listen to your radio station because that's what's going on. So that's, I think that has a big impact. What you got, dude. Okay. You skip um, one? no, Ailey, uh, Ailey Gill is asking, what's the best way to install confidence in students? I have come across a few students this week who get frustrated with their artwork, give up or complain that they're not good enough. Yes. Um, I, you know, I think confidence is something that some people are just kind of have it naturally, um, because they are, uh, because they're just naturally good at something, right? So like, maybe they're just good at drawing. Maybe they're just good at football. Maybe their hand-eye coordination is just good. Um, maybe they're just kind of the way their makeup is or good at math. But for students that aren't, I find that, um, gosh, can can I ask you to do something real quick? Because sure. I think it's going to blow. This is perfect. And she can show this to her class. Go on uh, to go open a new tab, though. Uh -huh. Go on YouTube. Go to our playlists. I want I'm not I'm, I can't remember what this is called. So I'm going to actually put it in the chat. Uh, not inspiration. How I become. How, oh, no. Keep going. Oh, what I watch to become a better teacher right there. Hit that. This playlist one? nope the blue one. Oh, this yep and then uh scroll down because it's not that video i want the no snap here let me hold on gang i'm, I'm gonna get back to this but this is <laughs> such a good answer and i think everybody should watch this video that 
I'm actually going to take a moment and make this weird silence. If you playlist, put the, oh, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Which one is it? Oh, this one in there. Mm -hmm. So one of the best TED Talks I discovered last year was from this guy, uh, Stephen, I can't pronounce his last name, it's too many vowels. Um, and he talks about who thinks, the beginning of the, of the video is who thinks they can draw this picture. And it's some like incredible picture of like Robert De Niro or Brad Pitt or something like that. Then he says, and most of the crowd is just like, there's zero chance I could ever make something that good. Well, then who thinks that they can make a single dot on a page? And everyone raises their hand. So he says that this particular artist that drew this picture actually does it by a series of dots. So what they do is they take the entire picture, they coordinate it off into these little sections and that are really doable. And then they break it into dots and they create a number of dots. And they put once they put all these pictures together, it makes this mosaic that looks like the thing they actually wanted to draw. And so this whole guy's, his whole premise is that everything's doable if we break it down into doable size chunks, right? So um, when I taught my daughter to start playing drums, I don't teach her how to like keep time. So like when you play drums, you have your foot on the floor, this hand's on the hi-hat, well, I'm left-handed. So this hand's on the hi-hat and this hand's on the snare drum. I don't teach her how to just play it all together at once. I go, here's what I want you to do. We're listening to a song. I want you to hit your foot on two and four. So one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Then when she gets that down and she's feeling confident and she's like kind of goofing with it a little bit, now I want you to hit your hand when you're not hitting your foot. So, uh, or it's, uh, so we would instead do like one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Then once you get that down, then you add the hi-hat in. Before you know it, you're at one, two, three, four. So it's breaking it down into something that is so easy, anybody can do it. But then what you're doing is building the confidence over time because kids will think sometimes that what you're doing is too easy, that it's too baby, that this is not like, like, I, like what, am I, what do you mean I'm making a dot? What do, you think I'm, what do you mean I'm making a line? What do you mean I'm doing... Um, like for us, I used to do 20 vocab words at a time. I now do five. I start with five, right? All you have to do is learn five words. And then the next week it's a few more and then a few more and then a few more. And eventually we get up to the number that I want to get up to, but we are starting at a level that's so easy that it builds the confidence of the students. It's just like, um, for those of you that followed me in 2019, I ran every day for a year. Um, I actually ended up running 403 days in a row without ever taking a break. Um, and the way I did that was I only had to run a mile. And for me, I knew I could run a mile. This could be run around your block, run down your block, run for one minute, whatever it is, it's building the, um, it's building momentum and it's building confidence over time where I often run more than a mile. Uh, but a mile was enough to like, work up a sweat to get me going. And, and it was enough of a, a thing that I knew I could do every day, but you know, and it wasn't always easy. Sometimes I had to run in airports and sometimes I had to run in the rain and the hail and the lightning and snow and ice. Um, but a mile was, it was never so daunting that I didn't do it. So I think that that's how you build confidence is you have to break it down and be like, all right, you can't do this. Can you do this? Can you make this thing? 
and then show them how to incrementally build that over time. What you got, buddy? Um, oh, our good friend, Diary of a Mad Black Teacher, oh, yeah, girl. is asking, how do you keep virtual students engaged and working? They are doing nothing. My admin keeps contacting me. I am doing my best, but the kids are doing nothing. Um, I think there's a couple of things you can do here. One, one of the reasons that I'm having so much trouble this year because I'm trying to figure out systems is I have to grade everything. Like, it's just not like school where it's just like where I'm in the building and I can engage with you and we're doing something together. So it's like, there's so many distractions. Like, so first of all, if we can just acknowledge the fact that the kids have a lot of distractions. Um, and I know that, I don't know what your new school is like, but I know your old school is similar to mine. Where like our students don't have family members for the large for the most of my students, majority of my students don't have family members that have ever found a way to succeed that included education. Um, they come from families of dropouts or from people that like, and sometimes they needed to, right? They were taking care of someone. Sometimes um, they just have a high school diploma, but there's no like college there. So they don't see, there's no why. The reason that they're going to school, it just seems like a thing I have to do but then I'm just going to get a job working for Amazon. Reynolds, we get a job working for Amazon. I make $15 an hour, man. It's like, yeah, but <laughs> let's break that down, bro. Because you can't, like, $15 an hour, dope. Like, you can go to the movies and you can buy whatever sneaks you want. But, like, you're going to be living in your mom's basement next to the Christmas decorations for the rest of your life. So it's helping kids figure out why we're doing anything. And then on top of that, it is all the distractions. So I have kids that, like, when they unmute... It's like mom and dad are in a fight. Somebody's yelling at someone else. There's three other siblings around the dining room table that are all learning and no one has headphones on. Um, it's that kind of thing that just makes it incredibly difficult for students to learn. Added to which, um, Fortnite's on, your phone's right there, you're watching TV, like you're just, you're you're thinking you're going to mail it in and you're, and then you don't know what's going on because you were busy watching Dragon Ball Z for 40 minutes instead of doing the work. So what I've started to do is one, I make my lessons are not 80 minutes. I tell my students and look, this is against what my school really wants to do. But, um, like I said, there's not really a whole lot of people around anymore to tell us what we can and can't do. So, um, so it's about making your class about kids and not, adhering to just what the school policy is saying. I realize, gang, I realize that that's easier said than done and that some of you are in administration and it's not what you want to hear. But I think it's, what it is, is it's, if you can make the class about kids and make it so they can win, um, then you, you can build it over time, right? So right now I tell my students that after we do the do now and the journal entry, what we're going to do next will take no longer than 30 minutes. If you get done in 30 minutes, then you win and you're done, right? You don't have to keep running in this marathon after, like, once you cross the finish line, you're finished. You don't just keep running. Um, but the kids that need the 80 minutes, you have it. So that's that's one thing. It's like I'm, I'm scaling down the work. I then on Zoom calls have started, once we start doing the work, I put everyone in the individual breakout rooms. So I no longer have 32 kids in front of me. I have 32 breakout rooms or sometimes like less than that. I'll just cut it in half, put two kids in a breakout room. Um, so then I can go to different breakout rooms and help individuals or kids can raise their hands and ask a question 
and I'm only in the, like dealing with one to two students instead of 32 students and everyone's talking and asking questions and unmuting themselves and I can't hear everything. The other thing is everything's worth points. So when I grade the do now, like it takes me, I'd say less than five minutes to grade all the do nows and I can just, I have a rubric set up. It goes right to the grade book. So kids are seeing in real time, like that they are being graded and that the grades are going in right now. The other thing that that does is the do now can only be done if you're on time. If you're more than 10 minutes late to class, because look, I, I've done this already. I've gone to classes where I'm sitting there. I'm like, where the hell's my fifth period? Was there a meeting I didn't know about this? Can no one get into this? And then I realized, oh, oh, we're in third period. This isn't fifth period class. So I'm the dumbass that's sitting in the wrong class. So in doing that, I am, uh, th I'm building in an incentive to get to class on time. If you're not, you can't get those points back unless you have some sort of extenuating circumstance. Like your mom needed you, the internet went down, the power went off, which are all things that happened. My power went off the other day because I plugged a space heater into this thing back here. And it <laughs> we just- blew the whole circuit. I thought the whole house went out and I was like, oh no, it's just me. So I had to like run down the basement, restart the circuit, come back up, get everything signed back in. Um, but by making everything worth actual points, right? Which is what kids always want to know anyway, is what, is this worth something? How many points is this worth? Then I'm grading stuff in real time as much as I can. And so that is then incentivizing because kids are seeing that zero drop in there right now. Or your mom who has push notifications from power school on her phone is like, yo, what are you doing up there? How come, why is Reynolds giving you zeros? And it's like, cause my man wrote one sentence instead of five for the journal entry. So I can't give credit unless you meet the, at least the minimum. And that has, that's uh, got me a lot more bang for my buck with students in class as well. Go ahead, dude. Okay, Andrea, sweet as Coco. Is, is that asking, her name? It's her street name, but it's fantastic. Uh, is asking, what's up with principals who are out for you and intimidate their staff and want you afraid? Means oh, poor leader. Man. <laughs> First of all, your leadership skills suck, my man. Or my lady. I don't know. You know. Whichever. Uh, Principle. I think that fear, is, it's a motivator for sure. It's the worst motivation to get people to want to do stuff for you and to go above and beyond and to be excited, to have fun. What is um, a line that I saw today was creativity is intelligence having fun, right? Creativity is intelligence having fun. No one wants to be creative. No one wants to have fun. No one wants to show up early to stay late, to put in the extra hours for stuff if they feel like you're scaring them, right? Um, and I, I just don't think that that leads to long-term investment. Maybe that's not important to your leadership. Um, I do everything I can whenever someone tries to scare me with anything, whether it's a parent whether it's a student that's like, I'm going to tell my mom that you did this or said this, or you're not letting give me an opportunity to retake an assessment or whatever it is. Um, to like, so to get in the face of that and be on offense as quickly as possible. So for instance, the only reason kids can't retake any assessment in my class is if they cheat. I, and I, they know it's on the front end. If I find out that you're cheating, like whether you have a piece of paper, whether you, whatever, whatever your, your mode of, of cheating is, um, you cannot retake that assessment. If it happens again, you might not re be able to retake, retake assessments for the rest of the year. Cause re I don't have to let kids retake assessments unless it's in your IEP. 
But, and, and even those guys, if, if they cheat, that's a different story and I handle it differently. Um, but if someone gets pissed and they're like, no, 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 what do you mean I have a zero? Like, like, can, well, can I retake it? No, you can't because you cheated, bro. Um, I'm going to tell my mom, that's a great idea. Let's call your mom now or like right after class. And then I'm just on the phone with mom before, you know, Tim goes home and tells his mom that what happened. And then she calls me and she's all pissed off. And then I got to talk her down and explain what happened. Um, no, let's just get on that now. If someone says, uh, you know, I've had teachers like admin that didn't like the way that I rolled and like the, the people that I had come into class or the fact that I left my classroom or, you know, teaching all around the school or whatever it was. It was like, if I felt like someone was threatening me, I'm just in your face immediately because I want this for kids and I always make it about kids, right? So then that gives me courage. And I've talked about this a million times, but um, and if I don't like that, I, if I really don't like admin, which has happened in my life, I get a team of teachers that were not, I'm not trying to start a militia. I'm not trying to talk shit. I'm not trying to like, just sit there and bellyache about something. I try and find a group of educators and I've done this this year because this year is very, very difficult. Um, and we don't currently have an admin at my school, like I said. So it was, and even some of the things that the admin put in place in the beginning of the year, I didn't agree with. So it's like, let me find a group of teachers because I think that these things that we're do, we, we, that the schools decide we need to do are not going to benefit kids. And a lot of kids are going to lose and, and it's going to be terrible. So let's get together um, and figure out a plan. Let's figure out how do we support these certain types of students or these particular kids to win this year. And then I call home, I tell parents like, look, this is what I'm going to do with your kid. I need them to meet with me five minutes every day after school so we can make sure that they understand what's, what is being asked of them or five minutes before class every day. Or, you know, you're helping to create a system that ad admins doing whatever admins doing. Like if you're not a good leader, I'm not following you, right? This isn't like, uh, this isn't 300 where it's like, we're going to go and we're going to jump off this cliff at the end of the hell. No, this is a, that's a stupid idea. Like let's fight smarter and harder. And so it's creating a community of folks where you work or online that, um, but where you work for this particular case works better to help you to navigate some of this stuff and to figure it out together. And then when we don't like the way something's happening, we can formulate a plan as to what would work better. Then you're also going to admin with an answer. You're not just going to admin to complain. You're saying, look, here's three things that the teachers and students are having an issue with right now, but here's what we think would work better. And here's why. And then like my friend Cho would, Cho would always have, she would look up like the research behind it and be like, this is why we can't just right there, so suspend data. kids, right? <laughs> like, so some admin is real into suspending kids. We're, I'd say the majority of our teachers are really into restorative practices. So Cho would like be like, we're not just going to tell them that. We're not just going to tell them the success stories. Here's the literature. Here's the studies. Here's the, here are the numbers that back this up. I love it. Cho and that, so, and I, but that's not my strength, right? I'm the, I'm the storyteller. Uh, I just try and razzle dazzle people, but Cho would have that backup piece. So we were going in like full force and it was awesome. Hit it. Dayla Classroom is asking, and before I get to her question, I just want to say, do you know that in our Sunday night teacher talk, uh, people that watch live, we have two people named Dayla Classroom. No, we don't. Yeah. I thought Queen changed her name because it's Queen Dayla Classroom yeah. and then just Dayla Classroom. How fantastic. 
Anyway, so De La Classroom is asking, what was one of the most difficult areas of improvement that took you a while to get down? Oh, I think having confidence in the classroom, especially with regards to classroom management. I was afraid um, of how to say stuff, what to say, how to talk to kids, how to be real with them, how real to be with them, um, how vulnerable to be with students. And that was something that, like how to have difficult conversations. So if someone's in the back and they're talking, I ask them time and time again to please stop talking. This is important. This is why you have to learn this. This is why I'm teaching this. Um, no matter what it was, sometimes it comes down to, bro, and I, you know, I teach all boys, bro, you need to stop. Nope, I need you to stop right now. And like, look at them in the eye and say, if we can't handle being here, we're gonna have to figure out another plan because this isn't working that just something simple like that. And then being able to just jump right back in the class, not having that ruin the energy, not having that ruin my flow, not having to hurt my feelings, but like, I'm not kidding. Look at me. And then sometimes I do it with humor, right? Depending on the students, bro. Like I told a kid the other day, I said, if you don't stop doing that, I'm going to drive to your house and put gum in your hair. And they're like, what? I'm like, I, you think I don't have time to do this, but I have a whole bunch of gum and I have gas in my car. I will drive to your house and put gum in your hair. And like, but that's so ridiculous, right? Like I can get away with it because it's like I'm saying something that's so absurd that like if a mom called and was like, did you tell my kid you're going to put gum in her? Oh yeah, 100% said that. Like that was me. I said that totally. Um, it's, that took me a long time. And it really just, what I did was like, I had to start figuring out for certain kids. So like what I started doing was, if you've heard me talk about this in videos, it was not doing it in front of the class. I never want a power struggle, especially a public one, because teaching, the, I don't know if necessarily it's where I teach or if it's like the age that I teach or whatever, but like no one wants to look like a punk in front of their friends. Mm. So it's, all, I never kick someone out. I always go, do me a favor, can you step in the hallway real quick so we can have a conversation? You're not in trouble. Because I always wanna go with, like I've said this before, Hey, did I do something wrong? So right, immediately you're not on the defensive. I'm not going out there to just put you on blast. And then if they say no, I say, because this is what, this is what I think I'm seeing. Tell me if I'm seeing, if I'm not seeing it right. Because sometimes, look, you know, this is true. Sometimes you hear kids talking in class or laughing and you think they're laughing at you or they're making fun of someone. It's just something dumb that happened, right? Like somebody like, you know, dropped their pencil again or whatever, whatever stupid thing happened. And it's not that big of a deal. But in the, you're like, what are they laughing at? Is everyone, they laughing at me? Did, was it, you know, did I Isn't say something? It's so funny that adults often think that kids are laughing at them. It happens and all the 90% time. 90% of the time, I, I think kids are laughing at something just stupid. It, like, something happens. Yeah. I often think that with, like, our kids when they're all hanging out in a group together, like, on the front porch or outside. They're laughing at just, like, ridiculousness. They're just yeah. kids, so they still have that childlike but if you walk by a group of yeah, you feel... kids on the street even yep. and someone starts laughing it's like they laughing at me am i walking weird That's it's so like funny. it's so awkward yeah. um so it became like talking to those kids in private and then if they couldn't get it together then you gotta go to the office or, you, or if you freak out then i gotta call and help or something but it's never public and so that helped me to start doing it and then plus just doing the job for a long time and and practicing having hard conversations in my life 
benefited me. Like us having hard conversations or having hard conversations with friends. That just all, it just builds up. But that's the hardest thing. Okay, we have one more question um, right. since it's 2.15 and I know you want to go watch the Eagles. Yes. Um, it's from Mr. James Pete. He's My asking, buddy. I really feel like the biggest diversity changes need to happen in schools without diversity. Do you have any suggestions for teachers teaching in predominantly white schools how to really impact their students when they when they aren't really thinking there are any diversity problems. I think a big problem in our country is the ignorance of just not thinking that they have any problems. So how do you suggest overcoming that, especially when students and staff are almost resisting any change? That's a really interesting thing. Yeah. I, I, I don't know where it was. It was somewhere on Facebook. I don't think it was our group, but a teacher mentioned something about this kind of teaching and... Um, a lot of people chimed in and said, like, it's not our problem to, like, to correct or to teach or, like, it's it's not a problem, it's not a problem for black folks or brown folks to be solving, right? It's like James P. is saying, like... Oh, Shivy and I have talked what? about that yeah. at length. So, just, um... Just an interesting thing I read. Yep. Yeah, they say, like, it's oh. not the, it's, it is not the plight of, of black folks to solve racism. Was, this so is a white, white people up, made it. Right. We created it. So handle it. I think that I'll say this and, and I'm, I, I loved my mother. My, so my mother passed away when I was uh, 20, just after my 22nd birthday, love her with all my heart. My mom grew up in a very tough part of Philly called Alany. Um, blue collar, like dad was not a good dude, like very, very, very rough neighborhood. Right. Um, and she grew up with certain ideals, right. That, uh, but those ideals, I railed against a lot when I was younger. So my family was mostly racist. Like I was raised by like a pretty racist family. And I, I don't even know that I knew that when I was coming up, right? It was just like, just like the way people kind of talked about stuff was like, in retrospect, I'm like, damn, this shit was racist. But like when I was younger, like I didn't know any better. But I went to a high school that was a vocational school. So I wanted to learn how to do woodworking. Um, but what I didn't know was that like all the kids in Jersey that went to like Camden high. And so Camden is like a, is, uh, predominantly, well, it's not, I don't even know if it's predominantly it's, it is a non-white neighborhood. Right. But there's a lot of different, there's a lot of, uh, mix there. Yeah. So, but we'll say black and brown children. Right. Um, those kids, when they would get kicked out of Camden high would get sent to vocational school with the idea of. Well, you're never going to do well in school anyway. Let's teach you a trade so you can at least like not be a burden. Um, but then that's where I went to high school, right? So I went, I grew up in like Pleasantville, like leave it to Beaver. And then I went to school at like, like at a place where like, I mean, kids would get, the, my, first day, of, kids, my first day of school, someone got thrown through a window in a fight. In my first week of school, there was a race riot and I saw my best friend, uh, the, my best friend, first week of school, a kid that I knew get hit in the head with a pipe um, during like this race riot after school. This is like right after Rodney King happened and all that stuff. Um, so, you know, but because of where I went to school, I just like started meeting people and knowing people and knowing that like, this is in, like, these kids are just like me. Like they come from like a different neighborhood. Maybe their background's different, but like they still like, like the same music. We we're still talking about hip hop or, or, or sports or, drums or whatever and you start seeing people as people the problem in my family was 
when I would bring folks home and someone would have a mohawk or a neck tattoo before anybody had neck tattoos or one of my very good friends was gay and, um, and like very, like not modest. He, my, my man was like, this is like, I mean, you're in high school too. So it was like, Corey had like red hair and was like very, well, I think we were early 20s he was just, even. We were in, it was like early college, just out of high school. No, just, not with Corey. No? That was high school, man. I knew that dude. But he was just like, he was just extra about everything that he did, right? So the, my point that I'm making is, in bringing those dudes home, my mom was not having it. Like, you do not bring someone into my house that's gay, right? And I don't know why. Like, I don't know if it was going to wear off on me. I was going to become gay or whatever. But like, whatever the issue was, it was like, you don't bring people like this. And that line was very clearly defined. I didn't give a shit. I kept bringing people home anyway, right? I wore my friends. Like, yo, my mom might be a little bit out of pocket, but like, we're hanging. Here's what I found. I remember hearing my mom on the phone one time with a friend, and she was talking about this guy that I brought home named Joe. Joe had a, he was like six foot seven. He was enormous. Tattoos, like shitty tattoos all over his arms. She's like, I'm telling you, he keeps bringing these kids at home, home, and they are the kind of kids that if I saw them walking down the street, I would grab my purse tighter and I would cross the street. She goes, but since they've been coming over, I just see that they're just like everyone else. And that hit my mom. I don't even know that my mom heard me having her having that conversation. What I saw was literally the transition in my mom from being one way to being another, to being accepting and loving and caring to the point where those friends, I'd come home from, from wherever I was, work or whatever, and all my homies are like at my house sitting at the dining room table smoking cigarettes with my mom just talking about regular shit or kids would call my mom because their girlfriend or boyfriend broke up with them and I'm not sure what to do. My mom always gave advice. Like it changed everything. Here's why this matters to your question, James. I think that it is only ever through human interaction that people change. That when you are super, super anti anything, but then you have a homie that is like, oh, here's a kid that's black and he's talking about racism and what that actually looks like in his life and that it's real, that's not just made up. And now um, there's this connection can happen. One of the things I thought was really interesting my school started doing last year was when all of these, it was in the news constantly that black and brown children were being killed by the police they partnered with the police department in the neighborhood and the police would like show up and like eat lunch with kids, just hang out, shoot the shit. And not everyone, it was only cops that wanted to be a part of it, play football during, during lunch and stuff like that. Um, and what it did was it didn't solve everything, but it let the students see that these police officers were just people, that they had families, that they cared about things, and they cared about the neighborhood. It let the cops see that my kids were just kids. They're just shooting the shit. They're just, they're regular, they're trying to come up in a system that is trying to oppress them and how can we navigate this together? You're building partnerships with people and sometimes that's easy to do because there's a school down the street that doesn't look like yours. Sometimes it's pen pals, sometimes it's connecting virtually with other people, but it is immersing yourself in a culture that is not yours and then what you do is you see that people are people and that and then their problems all the shit maybe you didn't think racism was real maybe you didn't think black lives matter but then you're like no my friend now I have a friend that's black and he does matter like let's have that now now my life has changed because I met someone on a heart connection 
and not just because of what I saw or what I heard or what I read or I saw on, like listened to on TV or some bullshit like that. It's a real thing. And that is the only thing that ever changes anyone, I think. It is never the article, the books. I mean, you can start reading books by black authors. You can start watching videos, you can start listening to hip hop, but like it is the immersion in the culture on a heart level that changes things. But I think you can still get to that heart level through books and videos it and can, things of that. It like, can help. When I hear people, it's easy for me to even myself like forget that racism exists in my world, right? In my world, like I don't have any issues. Like I don't have, that's not a personal issue for me, right? But hearing and keeping myself immersed in people of color, like, and their stories of racism, I think that that, it's still a heart level. It still connects to the heart. Yeah. Like, even through that way. Maybe a bit more difficult for teenagers, right? You know, for me, it's, I can connect to that heart space easier, but. But it's still a level of intentionality that you have to address, that has to be intentional. You have to be willing to be uncomfortable, to be wrong. But I think the way you get around that, the way you move through the uncomfortability is you're trying to gain understanding. You're not trying to be right, you're trying to get it. And so when we talk about things like white privilege or something like that, instead of white folks just getting all up in their feelings and hurt and like, but I didn't know and I like, look, you didn't, you didn't, you were raised that way. Like a lot of us were raised that way. I didn't know my family was racist. I didn't know about white privilege. I didn't know any of that stuff. But, and so it's very easy for me to stay away from that. It takes intentionality but I think the way that you do the intentionality is through an inquisitiveness. Talk to me about white, talk to me about um, teachers that are white saviors. Talk to me about white privilege. Talk to me about what it's like to be black in America, what it's like to be an immigrant, what it's like to come from a Korean family. I'm literally inquisitive and I want to know. Doesn't mean everyone's right. Doesn't mean everyone you talk to is right about everything that they're even sharing with you, right? Like, it's true. like it's, but it's, what it's doing is it is, um, it's helping you to have a fuller view of what's going on and to connect to someone, to ask questions instead of point fingers. And that's why even my neighbors that have like wildly different political views than I do, and they're like, we, like so when we were building the wall, right? It was like, we're gonna build the wall, keep Mexicans out of America. I didn't just go like, put my middle finger up at them. It's like, bro, can you talk to me? I'm just interested. Can you, like, I, I, I'm unclear as to why you think building the wall is a good idea. I'm, in, I'm literally interested in why you would think that that's a good idea. I'm interested in why do you think anything? It's through inquisitiveness. And I think that that's what builds relationships with students too, is like you're just wondering. And then you're, you're I think that puts you in that space to be able to be, to get to know someone, to take your guard down, to connect someone on heart level, and then changing hearts changes minds. Yeah. So yeah. Got it? Yep. Good? Cool. Gang, Let's the Eagles are on, and I'm going to go watch them now. Um, look, this is a hard week. Let, let me just let, let me leave you with this. This is a hard school year. It's a hard couple of months, hard couple of weeks for a lot of you. Um, showing up to stuff like this really matters. Taking time off for yourself really matters. Connecting with people in the Facebook group really, really matters. Um, we did a live, we did a thing for the Facebook group a couple weeks ago where we did a Zoom call with about 30 or 40 of us all together and it was wonderful but that stuff really really matters um james pete's really wants to have another one just letting you know. yeah yeah <laughs> um so uh if 
You need anything, lean on your community. Go to the Facebook group. Those people are freaking wonderful. Somebody had a worst, they're having the worst year ever. But we were talking about this last night. 79 comments on their wow. post, right? Like what? Like what? 79 people that you don't know personally loved you when you weren't sure that you could even finish out this year. And so that, please, please make sure that you're doing that in some way, shape or form. Um, uh, yeah, that's it, gang. I hope you have an awesome week. I hope that you, those of you that get off on Monday are enjoying your Monday off. Um, and that's it, everybody. We'll see you next week. Peace.